Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. We have um, been discussing Matthew's um, account of, of the Messiah, a Jewish Messiah, Matthew, a Jewish man, writing to a Jewish audience in that has come into play um, much. Last week, um, we continued in our, our kingdom teaching. Jesus has been um, teaching um, and giving instruction regarding kingdom thought process. He told them that they needed to change the way they think, and now he's helping them to know what that looks like. And so last week, we started talking about that from the perspective of entrance, the entrance into the kingdom. And... Uh, the illustration there was beginning with the children. Jesus saying, let the little children come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. And talking about the, the simple faith, the simple trust that it takes to enter into the, the kingdom of God. The second encounter that he had in that was with the rich young ruler, quote unquote. Um, it doesn't really ever say ruler there. It's a rich young man. But the idea is he's probably in that ruling class, that, that leading class. Um, but he has that conversation with him, and it really highlights the statement, just a little, that statement that he made about the children. Because when he has this discussion with this young man, this rich young man, the young man wants to know, what do I need to do? What do I need to do to enter into the kingdom of God. Because he's thinking that Jewish mindset where they had gotten to, that they had forgotten what God wanted from them, but rather they thought they had to keep the law. That there was a certain listing of things that they had to do in order for them to be able to to enter into the kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of God. And so Jesus works with them where he finds them. And he says, well, you know the the laws, you know the commands, to honor your father and your mother, do not steal, do not commit adultery, so on and so forth. In this Rich young man says what? I've done all these from my youth. And again, Jesus doesn't... <laughs> yeah, all right. So let's talk about... He, he just accepts where he's at, okay? And then he takes him the next step. Because Jesus originally, when he says, you know the laws, boom, 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 he only quoted what? The last six. Now Jesus is going to take him to the first four. To love, that you should have no other gods before me. You should not make an idol in the form of anything. You should not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. And you should remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Because the last six all deal with loving your neighbor, but the first four all deal with loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? So he deals with loving the neighbor, and, and this guy says, I've done it all. But now Jesus comes back, and he doesn't say, well, what about idols? Well, what about the Sabbath? Well, what about... Because this guy is going to... Say what? I've done those two. Make sense? He's going to say, I've kept the Sabbath. He's going to say, I don't have any idols in my house. He's going to say, I've never profaned the name of God. In fact, they don't even use Yahweh's name. And, and, and many Jewish people would, would just cringe if they heard me say Hashem, the name Yahweh. But that's what Yahweh said. This is what I want to be named. This is my name. This is what you should call me, Right? But they got to the point, and so if you look at a lot of Messianic stuff today, they're to the point where you'll see G hyphen D or L hyphen RD. They won't even just say God or Lord. I mean, they've gone so far away from not even saying Yahweh 
or Jehovah, which is whatever, that they've gone to the point of now they won't even write God or write Lord because they're afraid of using Yahweh's name meaninglessly. Make sense? So he's going to say what? I've done that. If you would have asked me at the age of 23, and I had somebody who asked me, if I was going to go to heaven, my answer would have been, and it was on that day, yes, of course. If anybody's going to heaven, it's got to be me. I've gone to church every day, every Sunday of my life. I mean, you guys know the story. You've heard it, right? I grew up in Pittsburgh, mountains, hills. Even when it snowed, we walked up both hills both ways. We went to church, you know? So if the car wouldn't make it, we walked. And you ask, if my mom and dad come down, whatever, you ask them. When it snowed, we still walked. If we could get to church, church was open, we were there. Okay? My dad was the treasurer. I was active in the youth group. I even gave a message there. I helped with the ushering. I, 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 I. Oi, 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 right? It was all about who? Me. It was everything that I did. What must I do? So Jesus now comes back and gives him something to do. Just a little something. Go sell everything you own and give it to the poor. And then you will have treasures in heaven. Well, that's kind of similar to what he said in Matthew 6, isn't it? Don't lay up treasures on earth where the moth, the rust, and, and, the, and destroy and corrupt them. The, the moth, the rust, and thieves. Thank you. And break in and steal. Okay? But rather lay up treasures in, in heaven. That's kind of similar what he's saying to this guy. But this guy gets it because he was a what? Rich young man. And so Jesus is asking him to become a pauper. Go sell everything you have. Give it to the poor, then you'll have. What did Jesus do? He cut it to the quick. This man was worshiping his riches above God himself. He wasn't willing to get rid of his earthly possessions in order to serve God. You can understand a little bit now where some of the um, monastic, if you would, groups come from. Because they're giving away all their what? Their worldly possessions in order to be fully focused on God. And I ended last week with the, one of the questions, what if God asked you to do that? What if God asked you to do something like that? What would your wife say? What would your spouse say? I mean, what if, the, if, the, if God told the wife that and she came to the husband and said, God, I think God wants us to do this. You know? I mean, think about it. What would we say? Are we that attached are we that attached to the stuff of this world that we're afraid to let it go? Do we want the things of the world more than the things of God? Well, at that moment, the disciples got it, right? And so Peter comes to Jesus and he says, but what about us? Because we what? We left it all. See, they're still having to struggle with what? Jewish thinking. Make sense? Because... They get this conversation with the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler walks away, right? But we got a little bit of what? One-upsman here. Unless you think that's not the case, remember what's going to happen at the end of this message today in the conversation we're going to look at. 
they're still thinking selfish. Peter comes to them and says, well, what about us? Because we've what? We've left it all. We've given it up. So what about us? And Jesus gives them this summary statement in verse 29. He says, everyone, this is verse, chapter 19, verse 29. He says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mother or, mo- mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake. It's just a small little inclusion there. Okay? You can leave all that, but if it's not really what? For his namesake. If it was really for what? For people to notice you. I want you to think about that. If you leave it all, someone once came up to me many years ago and, and wanted to compliment me on my humility, on my humbleness. And my comment, my reply to them is, remember, even humility can be prideful. And they just kind of looked at me like I just slapped them. You know, but that's a reality. Why are you humble? Why are you, you having humility? Is it so people can what? Notice it and compliment you on it? Then you're really not what? Humble. I mean, you know, we talk about the... the I'm going to go one step deeper on this thing. You know, you talk about rewards in heaven. Are, are you doing what you do so you can get rewards in heaven? Then it really isn't about God. It's really about what? About you and your, the rewards you're going to get. I want you to... So even though God's promised us rewards, we're going to talk about these rewards in a moment. Even God's promised these rewards. It's not all about the what? The rewards. My focus still needs to be on who? On God. And so just as this rich young ruler, quote unquote, right... What if Jesus said to me, I want you to give away all your rewards in heaven? Paul said, I wish that I were what? Accursed for the Israelites. I don't know if I can go there. If I was separated from God for all of eternity, so all of the United States could be in his presence. That's what Paul said. Isn't that the ultimate sacrifice? So what means the most to me? Well, it's on the heels of this that we come into chapter 20. Because verse 1, note, it comes through, if you have the red letter edition, right? It doesn't change. And Jesus is still talking. Verse 30 of 19, but many who are first will be last and last first. Okay, we're going to see that again in in a little bit. For the kingdom of heaven is like. And so he gets into this parable as an illustration of what he's just talking to Peter about. That... You've not lost, you're not going to lose anything, but you're going to be what? You're going to be rewarded. So he gets into this kingdom of heaven. This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And so he gets into this parable right off the bat of seniority. And the first thing we're going to talk about is seniority, the importance of seniority or the lack of the importance of seniority in the kingdom of God. Because that's what this parable is going to play out. And the first thing we see in this parable is that we have this landowner. And he's got a vineyard to harvest. And so he goes down into the marketplace, okay, where apparently the labor pool is, if you would, bringing it into our days, right? So he's going into the marketplace, and he's looking for guys who are idle. They have no, they are without work, ergon, they're without work, is kind of the idea. So he's going into the marketplace, he's looking for guys who are without work. We're not making an assessment of why they are what? Without work. They're laborers in some manner, right? So he goes down, and he sees these laborers, these guys, and he says to them, you want work? And they say what? Sure. And he says, why don't you go out into my fields? Now, apparently, this is important, because this first group, there's a little bit difference in this first group and the other, the other groups. 
What do you see that's different in this group than all the other groups? Very important to the story. They, they negotiated a contract. That's exactly right. They negotiated a contract. Very important. There was an agreement. I'll work for you for, boom. And apparently, it was a denarius, okay, that they were going to get a denarius for the day's work, okay? So they're willing to go out, put in a day's labor, and the day's wage is going to be a denarius, okay? So they go out. They're excited to have what? Work. He's excited to have laborers. It's a good deal, okay? So they negotiated a contract. It was a free agency kind of signing going on here, okay? And they went out into the fields, and they're going to pick... They're going to pick the grapes. They probably ate some when they went along as well, whatever. We're not sure. But they're going to do this for a denarius, okay? But then the goes back, owner goes back out the third hour, the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and then the eleventh hour. And note what happens during those times. All he says to them at this point, why are you still what? Why are you still without work? Why are you still here? Now, I don't know, again, whether this is a labor pool and they happen to show up late to the, to the labor pole, or where he found them in the marketplace, okay? But he sees these guys, they were idle. What do they look like? I don't know, but it's kind of an interesting thing by itself, right? And he says, why are you still without work? Go out to my field, and I will what? I'll pay you what's right. Now, these guys, think about it, they have a decision to make, don't they? What's their decision? They're either going to go to... I'm going to, am I going to trust them? And am I going to what? Go out to work, right? I'm either going to work in this field and I'm going to trust him, or I'm going to say what? No. Why would they more than likely say no? You have two reasons. They don't know what they're getting paid, maybe, but what would they get into? They don't trust him. Okay? Or B, they're... L-A-Z-Y, and they ain't got no alibi. That's right. They're lazy. They don't want to work. Make sense? Okay? So think about that. So it goes all the way up until the 11th hour. Okay? So the 11th hour, that means they're only working what? One hour. That's the presumption, right? So at the end of the, the workday, they come together, and the last come first, if you would. Okay? And so the ones who worked the, the, only the one hour, they're in the front of the line for their paycheck. Kind of happens that way, yeah? A lot, doesn't it? Okay, and so they come in the front of the line, and they get, and the, the, the landowner's there, and he gives them a, he gives them a denarius. Could you imagine the ripple effect this is happening? I mean, because if you're in the back, and you see these guys getting a denarius, you've got some, some thought process going on, don't you? Because there's within you the knowledge that what? Well, I'm worth more, maybe, maybe not, but that you did what? You made a contract. <laughs> you signed a contract. These guys, you don't know whether they signed a contract or not. All you know is they're getting paid what? A denarius. The guys come up who work, went out there on the ninth hour. They only work three hours, and they get a what? Denarius. You sense a pattern going on here. The guys go in that went out the sixth hour. They got a what? A denarius. You're starting to sense more of a pattern. This isn't looking good right now. The third hour, they worked nine hours, and they got a what? Denarius. Finally, the guys who signed the contract come. And you can almost read between the lines of some of the conversations going on here. You what? You Scrooge? You're ripping us off. 
you're going to give these guys a denarius? And they came out for one hour, maybe three hours. I've been laboring, sweating, toiling for you for 12 hours, and you're going to give me the stinking wages that you gave those guys who were out there for one? They almost sound like Americans, don't they? But note, don't forget the point of the parable. The point of the parable is what? This is a, like the what? The kingdom of God. We can get lost on this one and start getting into socioeconomics. Okay? But there's an important lesson even socioeconomically in this as well. Not that I want to become socialist. Okay? But I want you to think about this. Sometimes we care more about what our, our rate of pay is going to be rather than serving the Lord and honoring him in everything we do and sticking to our what? Our agreement, period, our word. You give your word, you make an agreement, you what? You stick to it. Now, if you want to change that later on, you can, but that's up to you. But again, I don't want to lose sight of what this parable is all about. This parable is all about the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus basically tells us is, coming through this, that the payment is going to be the same for everybody. Now, that's a struggle for some of us. Because we think, because we've been saved longer than Joe, that we ought to get more what? More crowns. More blessings. I mean, God, look, I mean, hey. I picked more grapes. I mean, look at all those grapes there, God. That guy picked one bushel. I got 15,000 bushels. He's got one. Clearly, I deserve, I what? I deserve more. But in the end, God said what? You're all getting the same. Some water, some sow, but what? God gives the increase. So I want to ask you right off the bat, what are you expecting at the end of the day? What are you expecting when you go before the throne of Christ? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Are you expecting that God's going to ooh and ah over you? If you are, you shouldn't. Turn with me, I left it here. Turn with me to Luke 17. I like to refresh myself with this parable often. Luke 17. Beginning verse 7. In which of you, having a servant plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and sit down to eat. But will he not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper and gird yourself and serve me till after I have eaten and drunk and afterwards you will eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did the things that were commanded of him? I think not. So likewise, you, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was our duty to do. What was my job in the vineyard? Pick grapes. How many grapes? 
as many as I could. Was it my job just to sit there and eat grapes? No. My job is to pick grapes. I'm a grape picker. Does it make sense? And when I come in from picking the grapes, do I expect that the owner of the vineyard is going to ooh and ah over it? Wow, dude, you picked 20,000 bushels of grapes. No, rather, Jesus says, this is Jesus sharing. He says, doesn't the master rather say what? Okay, now I need you to go prepare my food. And then what? Serve me. And even at that moment, the master still doesn't what? Necessarily thank him. Why? Because he only did what he was supposed to do. Again, as Americans, we have this mentality, this entitlement thing. We all do. Don't just look down at some other grouping and think. We all feel like the company ought to come and thank us because we showed up for work that day. Like we are so magnanimous. I mean, this is, hey, hey, you know, you don't just have anybody working for you. You have what? Bob working for you. And I, I promise you, I remember this when I worked at a print plant and I ran the, 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 the I'm not proud of this, the office manager up one side and down the other. And I did it loudly, and everybody in that office knew it. Because I was underpaid. I was, I was automating this entire, this is for real. I don't say this pridefully, but it's true. I was an inventory control clerk, but I was a computer programmer. I was a, I was a um, systems analyst. That's just what I was. And so there was a need. I started programming the entire um, plant for them. Okay, And I could go on with it. Because, but they didn't get it. It didn't matter. I felt unloved, unappreciated. And I what? And I let him know. And I went back to my desk, my cubicle, and the Holy Spirit started beating me up. I was fuming, but I wasn't fuming just from my altercation with the office manager. I started to fume even more because the Holy Spirit started beating me up. Because I was... And just not right. And I had, I had to go back into his office. And what? <coughs> apologize. Not just apologize, but state that I was wrong. And I quoted Ephesians 6. I'm um, 6. That he was my master and I was his servant. And that ultimately my service was supposed to be unto the Lord, not to him. And I treated him with rudeness and disrespect. And that ought not to be so. He was like, oh, no, no, man, it's okay. We all make mistakes. No, it's not okay. It's really not okay. Because, again, ultimately, it's not before you. It's before God that I'm going to give an account for what I just did. And I know that everybody in this office heard what I just said. And so I am willing to go out into that office and confess my, my sin everybody else. I'm telling you, learning that you're just a what? You're just a servant. You're just a slave is not a good thing to learn, especially depending on how God has to deal with your pride to make you learn it. Better to have learned it in a peaceful way than by God humbling you in a very embarrassing public way. 
I am nothing but a servant. That's why I don't want, I don't want this big title or whatever that you're the pastor or whatever. Like yesterday, the guy was asking me, so are you the minister? No. Well, okay, so I'm, I'm a teaching pastor there, but I'm Bob. I'm just Bob. It's, it's Jesus' church. I just have a certain role. And that's really, that's not trying to just be self-abasing. That's really where I want to be. That I am not special here. I've been given a, a privilege of teaching his word. But I am no different than you. I'm not more special than you are. And the minute we think that we are so special, we've missed it. Philippians chapter 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very morphe, the very nature, God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God because he was God. He made of himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He took upon him the form of a servant, the morphe. He exchanged God for a servant. So, they all got the same wage. But clearly there was the objection. What are you doing? Jesus says, with the conclusion, is it not lawful? Now, remember what we we talked about this a week or two ago. So, what do you think a proper translation here would be? Is it not what? Permissible. Is it not permissible? In other words, it's it's of mine. I own it. It's of my, my ownership. So, is it not permissible for me to do with my stuff what I want to do with my stuff. So again, remember, this is all about the kingdom of God. What does God own? Everything. Everything. We can quote Psalm 24, 1 and 2, right? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all who dwell in it. That includes who? Everybody at one time? Me. Good, okay? It includes me, right? So what of yours does God own? All together, one, two, three? Everything. Okay, so you get it. God owns me. God owns everything. So what do I really have that I can say, no, God, this is mine? Nothing. Nothing. That's exactly right. One, two, three. Nothing. That's exactly right. I mean, that sounds so weird. And we can sit here. We can talk about it. Right. But living it out is a entirely different story. That's exactly right. God has every right to distribute, quote unquote, his wealth as he chooses to distribute his wealth. He has every right to bless you with gifts, as he chooses to. There was a young lady at the graduation yesterday, and I won't say a name, but if you were there, you, you know who I'm talking about, who in the last couple of years has come down with a, um, I don't remember the, the big names of it, but a, a disease, whatever, um, the, the, yeah, a, a, a disability. And um, and. She's a beautiful young lady, but she had a hard time speaking, a hard time walking. And no, most people don't know the story, but she wasn't like that until a couple years ago. Okay? I just think God's got a special plan for her. It's Emmy. God has every right to distribute health, wealth, I mean, all, you know how we do the health and wealth thing. God has every right to do what he wants to do with everything he wants to do it with. Even me. I'm just clay. And he's the potter. If he wants to pay somebody else 
a greater um, amount per hour. He can do whatever he wants with it. I praise God for my grandma who got saved two weeks before she died. And I praise the Lord she's going to get the same reward that I get. She just lost out on a lot of the what? The rewards here on the earth. Because she didn't know him. She missed out on the blessing of the fellowship for the years on the earth. We discount that. Because we want more of the world than we want of him. And if you just realize to lose the world is to gain your soul and to gain Christ, how much more you gain by losing it. Jim Elliott, I'm sure last week, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. To gain what he cannot lose. So what's the principles? We need to understand who we are. We're just laborers, servants. We need to understand who God is, his ownership over everything and his goodness. I mean, he's the one who causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust. He's the one who brings the rain to sinners and to the righteous. And he has every right to do with it what he chooses to do, whether you like it or not, whether I like it or not. Jesus then goes into this next altercation where he's done sharing this parable. And, and I think it's amazing because at the end of sharing the parable, before we get into this request of the mother, Jesus tells the disciples something, which he's been telling them over and over again. And so I'm not spending a lot of time on it, but what does he tell them? They're getting ready to go to Jerusalem in what? I'm going to be killed. I mean, I'm, I am going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and to the scribes. Betrayed means what? Yeah, I'm going to be given up by somebody I trust. If you're, if you're thinking here, guys, maybe it could be what? One of you, but they're what? They're not thinking, right? Yeah, Jesus foretells his death. A third time. That's exactly right. That's what I'm saying. And they're not getting this. Because right on the heels of this, right? And, and we could go to the communion, the Last Supper, because in the middle of the Last Supper, they're going to start fighting about who the greatest is. Right? But here, right on the heels of this, right? So he's going to go, and he's going to be delivered himself. He's going to be mocked. Da, 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 da. And so right on the heels of this, the wife of Zebedee, the mother of James and John, comes to Jesus with a request. Request. It's just a little request. Because Jesus said, ask and what? It'll be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. So Jesus, I'm what? I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking. Because you said what? I should. Yes? So name it what? So, so she comes and she says, I have something I want to ask. And he says, well, what do, you, what do you wish? Verse 21. She says... Grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your what? In your kingdom. Now, the first part of this is just a real side thing. It's kind of cool, actually. There's kind of a statement of faith here, isn't there? I mean, what is she saying backhandedly? But what is she saying? You're definitely going into a kingdom. I I believe you are who you say you are, and you are going to be in the kingdom. Make sense? So So backhanded, she's saying... 
I believe you are who you are. Okay? So don't miss out that one. That's kind of a cool little, kind of cool one. That's us. Okay? So get it. This is us. This is not somebody who doesn't understand. This is somebody who gets it. But missed it. <laughs> At the same time. And we think, how do they can do that? How do we do that? We do it all the time, don't we? That's exactly... And so she comes to Jesus saying, I know who you are who you say you are, and you're going to come into your kingdom, and you're going to sit upon the throne. And so when you do it, Lord, I have just a little bitty thing I want you to do for me. She's thinking just like a mom or a grandma. Would you ask this for your grandkids or for your kids? Anyways, I'm putting my wife on the spot. See, now we have a real problem. They're already sending her T-shirts saying that grandma loves the kid, grandkids more than she loves the kids. It's already established the moment. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Grandpa back there is speaking, too. Yeah, that's right. And so, so the first part of her request, the impertinence of it, is, is so incredible to me when it, when it comes to this. Like, like Jesus is going to turn around to her. Yeah, get it. But don't we do that? It's like if I, if I can push myself in the, in the front of the line, because there's only two of these things left, I what? I get them. You laugh. But look what's happened to Thanksgiving because of Black Friday. How many people are camping out for almost two days in front of Best Buy, potentially not even knowing what they're, going, what they're camping out for? But they know they want to be the first ones in the door to what? To get it. To get whatever it's going to be because it's going to be good. Say again? There's only one of them. That's right. Yeah, there's two guys together. Now they're going to have a fight. It's, but it, it's, it, this is just instinctive in us. You know? This selfishness. And so she says, Grant, that my two sons, one at your right hand, one at your left hand. Hey, I'm not saying that everybody else can't get there. Now, what did Jesus just tell them earlier? Remember part of the, what he told Peter? Just before he said, there's no, not, you haven't lost left da-da-da-da, you're not going to be rewarded. What did he tell Peter just before that statement in chapter 19? What else is going to be theirs? Ah, that's right. You guys are going to sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes. So mom believes that too. Get it? She just wants what? She wants the special ones. The, the what? The honor positions, the close positions. How impertinent. How, I mean, just the, 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 the total selfishness that she could be that audacious. I almost made this audacious. Because this is like audacious. This is just like the audacity of this thing. And yet I know that we're supposed to go before the throne with what? Boldness. Boldness. But boldness for the kingdom's sake, not boldness for... My sake. Get it? That's the difference here. This is all about me, not about thee, if you would. And so, the second part of it is the ignorance of it. (laughs) Jesus kind of is nice to her, and he says, and actually talks to James and John, and says, do you guys really know what you're asking? I mean, do you get what you're asking for? Verse 22. You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink with the cup that I'm about to drink with? And are you, be able, are you going to be able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? Be careful what you say and what you ask for. Because they say what? We are. 
We are. And so what's Jesus' response to them when they say we are? You will be. You just you got it. You got it. You want it. You got it. But <laughs> the thrones, they're not mine to give. But that other part, you want, the, the, you want to drink the, my cup that I'm going to drink? You want to be baptized with the baptism? I'll, I'll let you handle that one. Do you know who the first big martyr, if you would, for the church was? <laughs> this guy, James. Yeah. He was the first guy to die for the name of Jesus. Do you know who the last standing apostle was? The other one, John. Isn't that kind of interesting? Do you know, um, according to tradition, whether it's true or not, how John died? No, that was Peter. Peter, Peter was crucified upside down. Anybody know about John? Uh, that was, John was on an island for a while, but it's, he didn't die that way. He died in boiling water or bo- boiling oil. That's kind of fun, isn't it? No, you guys think not? Check. You think so? Oh, okay, maybe so. But he, he undergone, so let's say he survived it. That's exciting by itself, isn't it? You, you know, he boiled an oil and survived. That, that ought to give you something, too. Think about what these guys asked. Be careful. All I'm saying is thinking that you are as what? Powerful and as good as Jesus. That's really what, what comes out here. Are you really? Do you think you can drink the cup I'm going to drink and be baptized with the baptism? Yeah, yeah, I, I can do that. I can be just like Jesus. Not to that extent. Be careful. Be careful what you ask for in there. The reaction of the disciples, not those two, the other ten. They're excited for these two guys. I mean, somebody's got to sit to the right hand and the left hand, right? I mean, why shouldn't it be James and John? I'm excited for you. Charles, I hope it's you. I, I hope that you have that spot. No! What do you think you're doing asking to be right next to Jesus? That's my spot. Oh, um, did I say that? I'm oh, sorry. Think about it. All of a sudden, there's division within the church. Church is real small at that point, you know? And they're arguing over what? Again, who's going to be the greatest? You know, this is not it. So Jesus then comes to them with a response, and he, and he gives them, he says, look, this isn't the way it's supposed to be, guys. You know how the, 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 Lord, the Gentile lords, the ruler of the Gentiles, lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. You guys are still got this stinking thinking of the world. And you think that in order to be somebody, you got to be great. But I'm telling you, you got to change the way you think. You haven't got to be great. you got to be a servant. I want to share and illustrate, not about me, about a guy that um, became one of my best friends. Um, I met him in St. Louis when I was there for seven months, desert storm duty, rough, rough war duty. Somebody had to do it. Um, yeah, off the stock pond, you know, furnished apartment. Anyways, um, 
But while I was there, we went to a church, and we went to the church that we went to, not because of the pastor. He, he preached okay. Not because of the, the fellowship. They were okay. But because of the Sunday school teacher. He was an engineer. And I'm going to tell you the company that he worked for, because it's going to blow the socks off you. He worked for Anna Bush. Yeah. So, you know, Bob's first reaction when he found that out was one of great positivity, Right? But my first thought is, why is he what? Why is he working? That's like Bush. And so I won't tell you this whole story, but we went into the whole story, and he, he had turned them down numerous times and finally prayed and said, God, if this is where you want me to work, they're going to come with this, a package that, that far as exceeds this. And they did. And as Bush came back to him and said, would you work for us for this? So he knew this where God wanted to work. And I can tell you lots of stories how God used Ricky through them. But this one is the one I'm going to I'm share with, but I can... Ask me about him, because there are phenomenal things which God did through him working there. He was getting promoted up through the ranks to the point where this one promotion was he had to go before the board, AB board. I mean, that's how high up he was getting, okay? And he was going to be skipping a couple ranks for the one they were talking about. And they were asking him questions, and they said at the very end, they said, do you have any questions for us? And he says, I do. He's a very bold individual, too. He says, I do. And, he, and they said, what is it? He says, well, I, my, Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. And he, he is everything to me. And Jesus gives, gives a model of leadership, of servanthood, that I believe ought to be the model of leadership. And so as I lead, I seek to lead as a servant, as a shepherd. What effect does that have? Their response, that's exactly what we've noticed in you, and that's why you're here today. They didn't necessarily care about the Jesus part. They cared about the effects of Jesus part. Make sense? It's amazing the world wants the new way of thinking. They just don't want to go through the transformation to get there. If you could have the mind of Christ, which is servanthood, Jesus ends this whole thing with the very last statement. Verse 28, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. If I could get that, if we could get that, and understand that this world that I'm living is not all about me, getting the most I can out of this thing, but rather that I am a servant, a servant, I'm a laborer, I'm a toiler in the vineyard of God. That God has, has given me the privilege. He's asked me. He didn't force me. He didn't go down into the, the marketplace and grab me and yank me and force me into his vineyard. He asked me, do you want to go work in my vineyard? And I said, what? Yes. The question is, am I eating grapes? Am I working? Or am I, am I acting like the idle guy that I was in a marketplace? Am I a servant of the Lord, or do I walk in thinking that he's going to make me the, the foreman of the job? 
I try to teach my boys that the very first and paramount attribute of being a godly man is servanthood. You need to learn to be a servant before you ever can be a leader. If you don't know how to serve, you'll never know how to really lead. Because otherwise you'll be a tyrant, like Jesus talks about the rulers of this world, lording it over. You have verses on your sermon notes you can look at later about, about shepherds, about the, un, the under-shepherds from 1 Peter chapter 5, how we are not supposed to lord it over the, the, the assembly, but rather we're supposed to serve. That's a big deal. When I look at Steve and David, they are the epitome of, of, of servant leadership. I'm not quite sure about me. I work on it, okay? But the reality is, as we look toward elders, my belief is an elder needs to be already elding before he can ever be in... Elder, a deacon should be a deacon before he's ever a deacon. And you know the word deacon, literally diakonos, means what? Servant. Servant. That's what we're called to be. Servants. Nothing more. Nothing more. Servants. Jesus said, don't let the secular mind roll over you. Rather, have this kingdom mindset of servant leadership. I promise you, when you have that, people will gravitate to you. Husbands, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That's called servant what? Leadership. That's what we're supposed to do. Wives, submit unto your husbands, just as the church submits unto the Lord. That's called servanthood as well. It's all about serving one another. It's about getting rid of my what? Quote, unquote, as Americans, my rights. My rights. My, we have our bill of what? Rights. It's all a bill of goods. Do you get it? In Christ, my right is to serve him. To know him. What a beautiful opportunity that is. Are you serving in the kingdom? Are you laboring in the fields or idling in the market? I don't want you I say, I don't want you, and I don't mean it that way. You get what I'm saying? Jesus, it's not a matter of punching tickets. I've been in churches where they're very busy, and they have a lot of things going on, and people do things only because it's expectation from the church or expectation of the leadership. Does that make sense? So, so don't, please, 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 please do not confuse this at all with that. This has got to be an impetus that comes from Christ. But if you are taking on the mind of Christ, and if your mind is being transformed, and you're becoming conformed to the image of Christ, then the mind of Christ is going to be more and more overcoming you, right? Which means that you're going to desire more and more to do what? Serve others. Like I joked last week, I'm third, baby. I'm third. It's not I'm one. It's not even I'm second. I'm third. God's first. 
Others are second. I'm third. And if it's anything else to you, now it could be four, five, six, seven, eight, I don't care. But if you think you're one or two, you're not biblical. You're not biblical. Do you have a proper understanding of who you are in relationship to God? I'm just a piece of clay. How do you treat others? Do you tend to lord it over others? Or do you serve? Now, I, I, I promise you, I, this is a struggle area for me. It's probably a struggle area for you. I want to be fully in that servanthood side of it. But I know there are times when it's easy to what? Slip back over into the lordship and, and do things. Why? Because I said so. I don't have to justify myself, and I feel threatened if you ask me to justify myself. Oh, did I say threatened? I, I, I'm offended. <laughs> you get it? But really, honestly, we're what? We're threatened. Our, our, our leadership is threatened. I need to realize it's a gift from God. Is there then finally a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness to us. You alone are the most high God. There is no other God. You own the vineyard, Lord. The vineyard is the world as a whole. And you have called for us to go into this vineyard, Lord, and to, and to work, to gather the fruit. You've said elsewhere that the fields were white in the harvest. It just lacked laborers. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see ourselves rightfully as your servants, desiring to magnify you in Jesus' name. Amen.